Hey, everyone. It is so good to be here today. And what do you think of when you think of a cult? You think of like a person tangoing through life. You think of a person traveling the world and oh, She is so beautiful. She's a model. She's doing life on her terms. Well, this is all going to tie in together because my guest today, Renee Linnell, is with me. And I've got to tell you, I have enjoyed getting to know her so much. She fires me up. She makes me like, I'm like, I want, I want to like get every ounce out of life. She is a former surf model. She's a professional Argentine Argentine tango dancer and a serial entrepreneur with an executive master's in business admin from New York University. She made her actual publishing debut in 2018 with The Burn Zone. It's a, a memoir of her experience as a cult survivor. And she now has just recently published her second book, which is called Still on Fire. And it's a memoir. How awesome is that? She's got the still on fire, fire, fire. Everything is so like spark. I got the, I got the fired up entrepreneur. I've got spark your heart. And today we are going to bring that spark to you. You're listening to The Relaunch Podcast, and I'm your host, Hilary DeCesar, best-selling author, speaker, and transformational coach widely recognized in the worlds of neuropsychology and business launches, which cultivated the one and only 3HQ method, helping midlife women, yep, that's me too, rebuild a life of purpose, possibility, and inspiring business ventures. Each week, We'll be diving into the stories that brought upon the most inspirational relaunches while sharing the methods and the secrets that they learned along the way so that you too can have not just an ordinary relaunch, but an extraordinary relaunch. Renee, thank you for being here. So much fun. Hillary, thank you for that beautiful introduction. I, I was listening to it and it doesn't even sound like it's me. But thank you. you know what? That's what I, that's what I love because I sit here and I'm like, I'm reading it. And I'm like, God, that's good. Like, and here's the thing. There were a hundred other things that I could have said about you that people would have been like, no way, no way, no way. <laughs> Instead, we're going to go into that. We're going to talk about those things because I I said before, I said, this could be a five-hour series. And who knows? Maybe it will end up being one. (laughs) So right now, can you open up with how how your life has really unfolded? And you talk about relaunches. You've had so many significant relaunches. But walk us through what you feel is really the foundation, the biggest one that's really happened that kind of changed everything and changed your destiny? The biggest one would definitely be after I had been completely brainwashed by that cult. I kind of, I burned almost everything I owned. I gave away seven years of my life. I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. I alienated my friends and family I ended up smeared all over the New York tabloids. I went into a terrible business venture with somebody in New York and lost more money. And I didn't know who I was after all of that. And and I think that's the most devastating thing when life comes along with a sledgehammer and just takes reality as we know it, as we've come to understand it, and what we've based our identity on and around and just rips it away from us. Um, oh, you're, you're, you're going so deep so fast. I love it. And we're going to get there, but I got to go back. How old were you when you got involved in the cult? And, and as I remember, it's, it was a Buddhist cult. Is that it correct? Was, yes, I was 33. So 33. When I read that, I thought, you know what? At 33, you know, you hear about 
cults being, you know, when you're younger and you're, but you got involved in this at 33. What was it about this cult that was like, I need to be a part of this? I mean, what were you looking for? For me, it was peace. And I had this incredible job traveling the world as a surf model and then a professional tango dancer. And I was financially secure. Um, I'd been to almost, I think, over 50 countries before I turned 33. I'd done it all. I had this dream life and yet I was empty inside. And there was nobody out there talking about having everything and still feeling lost or still feeling unhappy or you know, that feeling that we get the dopamine hit when we get what we want. And then a few days later, we're depressed again. And so I was and most of my family died when I was young. So I kind of was like, why are we here? And what's the point? And everyone else seemed to have it figured out. And I didn't, I, I, I didn't, I was so sad inside, so soul sick. And when I walked into this meditation group, and I meditated for the first time, and this is the opening of the burn zone, this experience, my mind went completely blank and it was filled with so much peace and so much love and so much stillness that I felt like this is what I've been searching for my entire life. I don't care who this person is. I don't care what she has to say. I'm home and I'm sticking around to figure out how to have this peace inside my mind at all times. Mm, so when you talked about and you said a few things there that I just want to touch on, you lost your family when you were young. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Most of my family died before I was 15. And then my father died on Thanksgiving Day when I was 15, leaving me with a very abusive, alcoholic, pill-addicted, emotionally unstable mother who did her best. But she, I had a twin brother and she wanted a little boy. She didn't want a little girl. And so she took out all of her rage on me. And then she went missing when I was 28 and turned up drowned in a hotel bathtub. And so... But 29 years old, I was an orphan and I just was lost. And, and it was like, no matter how many boyfriends I had, no matter how much I love I had from friends, nothing was filling my heart the way I realize now I had to love myself, but I didn't know that then. You said, and it's interesting because people, I find this a lot, you know, you hear somebody's story and from the, the, on the surface level, right? It's always the iceberg that tip right. of the iceberg. And you're like, oh, okay, she's got this. She's got that. She's beautiful. She's, you know, got all these degrees. She's got all these, you know, amazing experiences. And it wasn't fulfilling. And I think, especially these days, so many people are walking around feeling like they're dulled out inside, feeling like their flame is extinguished. And you know, that, that you and I talked about this, that we both wrote, you know, books and part of the relaunch, it says spark your heart. It's like, we just need to have that spark again. Right. So you found that beginning spark by being silent and you walked into this, this group. You did, did you know at the time, how did it, how did it unfold that you realized, wait a second, this is actually a cult environment. It's like any toxic relationship where they love bomb you in the beginning and everything's great. And you think you've met, you know, wonderful new people and you're on this new adventure and you're learning all these new things, just like a new romance would be. Um, and then slowly over time, they consume all of your time. They take away your support structure, all the activities that empower you, all the friends that empower you. Um, and then they introduce self-doubt. And, and again, like any toxic relationship, the red flags are there from the beginning and we see them, but we deny and ignore. And that's what I did. I had lived life my way for 33 years. It wasn't working for me. And I thought that these spiritual teachers were going to lead me to enlightenment. And I thought enlightenment meant that I could live in the world. And no matter what was going on, I would have peace inside my mind. I wouldn't be knocked off balance by what was happening around me. And then that I would radiate peace and love the way the saints did. And people who were around me would feel better just from being in my presence. That's what I wanted. It's a strange thing to want, but it's what I wanted. And I thought- I they don't were think it's a strange it. thing. You know, that whole peace, that whole radiating, you know, light and love. I mean, I think that when we 
talk about, you know, I talk often about 3HQ, getting out of your head into your heart, tapping into your higher self, that best version of you. There's something innate about us all that, you know, your your higher self is calling to you. It's, are you listening? Right. And at that point, you went, you went silent. There were these gurus that were giving you initially what you wanted. And then what changed? When did you, I know that, where were you? Where were you during this time that you were involved in this? I was in California. And, you know, and I do have to say this was a kick-ass cult. Like they were like, we are going to teach you to use your career as your spiritual practice. So you're going to rock your career and you're going to bring the best of yourself to every moment in your career. So you'll get promoted. You'll make more money. You'll create a life where you can meditate better and give back to the world through philanthropy. And that tasks or homework assignments they gave me were get a black belt in karate, become a computer programmer, go get an MBA from one of the hardest business schools in the world. So it, you know, it wasn't like a mamby-pamby sitting around on cushions meditating with a flower behind your ear and hoping to be saved. It was like, we're going to sharpen our minds through meditation, and then we're going to use that sharpened mind to go be warriors of the divine. But so when did yeah? So everyone's probably like listening and like, okay, you did that, you did that, you did that. You're like, you know, you're manifesting all these different things, the warriors of the mind, all this. At what point did it start to become negative to you? Well, and so this is what makes the burn zone, the first book, such a page termer, is like the plot thickens, right? Because the 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 teacher was a female teacher and she was kind of like the big sister I always wanted. But Mm -hmm. then there was this man and he was the number one student of her and he was the bodyguard and he was handsome and muscly and powerful. And then I started working for them, running for running the company for them, working with the man all the time. And then he brought me in as his romantic partner, which is a consort spiritual sexual partner. Um, And then it all started going sideways from that point on. So was the leader jealous of this relationship? Did it start to go down that path? Well, the unfortunate thing was that I was so naive that I thought she was off meditating to the next phase of enlightenment and was so happy that I was running her company with her man, with this man. And, you know, I thought she knew all about it. Again, totally naive. She knew nothing about it. So then, you know, it's a spoiler alert, but I was sleeping with the guru's boyfriend I got thrown out of the cult, which saved my life. So, you know, the joke is that you can actually get thrown out of a cult if you screw the guru's boyfriend. Um, <laughs> but I was still faithful to them for another three years. And okay, that's, 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 that's so it. great. I know. That's a, so that's a takeaway, listeners, if you want to get yeah, thrown big, out of a Big cult. tip there. Big tip. Everybody write that one down. Tips every time. So here you are. And I mean, you know, you talk about like, okay, that is, that is now massive relaunch because you're starting to realize once you do get thrown out of this. And as you said, for four years, you still were, you know, big supporter. And I know that financially they all, it was also a financial drain on you. Can you talk through some of the financial challenges that you had during that time? Well, just that the more money we made, the more money we paid as students for monthly. So I was paying, I think, $1,800 or something like that a month. And then we would go on these power trips to places in the world. um, And we had to pay for first class tickets and first class accommodations. And then a $10,000 empowerment fee that went straight to the teacher. And then I was donating more so that there was an angel fund so that those who were in the military could come. I was donating for them to be able to come on the trips. And then because I was no longer trusting my intuition, when I did get thrown out of the cult and I moved to New York and started getting my MBA and was trying to finish getting my black belt in karate, I went into business with a man that I met at the karate dojo, went into business with him with no operating agreement and lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. So the second takeaway is don't go into business with some dude from the karate dojo without an operating agreement. I love how we're getting it. We're like netting it out right now. Everyone, (laughs) you know, Hey, if you want to get out of the cult, don't sleep with the, you know, don't, don't sleep with the the main guy and who's actually, you know, with the main woman. And now we've got, don't, you know, don't get in business with, you know, in the karate school, one of the guys, what kind of business did you create? 
we started an exercise business in New York. Um, and, uh, and I was just trying to package it as kind of a mind, body, spirit thing. Mm-hmm. And, and it was great. It, it was all great until he started using the business I created to prey on women and on our employees and our clients. And, and so once you figured that out, that that's what he was doing, how did you approach that? I just tried to extricate myself you know, the way a normal, emotionally mature adult would, that this is no longer a good partnership. And what do we do to dissolve it? Did some of the women come to you or did you notice it? They did. They came to me. And Um, and more than one. So you started to see, okay, this is really a problem. It was a problem. Yeah. Um, But he, I was the money and I was the brains behind the whole thing. And so he wasn't happy with me leaving and it turned into this big lawsuit. And I eventually, um, I eventually decided to lose everything there and walk away because, and that's when I started getting my power back. Mm -hmm. When I took full responsibility for, I entered into this, I stayed in it. I didn't know this person. I had no operating agreement. I had one. I didn't have him sign it. And, and I just said, you know, I get to be me every day. He has to be him. And I'm, I called Mm -hmm. my lawyer and I said, do whatever it takes. I want this out of my life within a week. And he said, really, it sounds like as soon as that first person came to you, you were like, you know, you believed a hundred percent and you're, you're like, I'm done. Can't do it. Right. Oh, I believed her. She was a young Asian (sighs) in New York on a visa because of our business. And yeah. I believed her immediately. And then more women came up and kind of said, this is what's happened. Yes. And so you're, you, you said, Hey, to the lawyer, I'm going to just walk away. I don't want to have anything to do with it. How long were you in this um, business partnership? I was in the business partnership just about a year and I was in the lawsuit. I feel like about a year when I said, I want out and I don't care what I have to lose and I, I will make that money again. I know I will. And it's a huge lesson learned. I mean, I got an MBA in sociopathy and narcissism with that one. (laughs) I mean, think about what you have gone through. And when you look back at that and you think about that relaunch, the relaunches that you've had, those big ones that we discussed right now, if you could, would you go back and change anything that's happened in your life? I really wouldn't. And I wouldn't because I needed every experience I went through to be who I am today. And that absolute shattering that I went through, I was suicidal. I didn't want to be here anymore. I had lost my mind, my sanity, my sense of self. It opened me in the most magnificent way to be truly alive, to truly live, to love myself, to love others, to have patience and compassion and wisdom and humor. I wouldn't undo it. I would I wouldn't do it again. I don't think I'd survive it again, but I wouldn't undo it. Well, that's the best part of life, right? We don't have to go back and relive it. It's not Groundhog Day, and that's a really positive thing for us. But I want to to go deeper into why you chose to write the first book, and then you followed it up very quickly with the second one. And, you know, and I know it was over pandemic and... It was interesting times that we we launched ours, you know, during the same time period. What was the main reason that you decided on the first book, The Burn Zone, to put this out? I was writing and writing as a catharsis, and I had a lot of shame around the story. I wouldn't talk about it. And when I finally decided to start talking about it, every single person I talked to said, you have to write a book. And I had about 100 pages of journal entries at that point. And I realized I did write a book and that in sharing my story of everything I went through and how I came out the other side, I could profoundly help others. And so I decided to put all of my dirty laundry out there for the whole world to read And it's had the effect that I was hoping that people say reading that book is profoundly healing. So we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to talk about what you were hoping people would take away and also go into some of the experiences that you have had that you share in the book that are crazy, everyone. You think that we've touched on like some, okay, you know, out there. Yeah, we're going to go even deeper. So stay tuned. Come right back. 
This episode is brought to you by my very own Labor of Love, my most recent book, Relaunch. This book is a collection of my stories, other stories, and is a motivational guide to living a new 3HQ lifestyle, sparking your heart to ignite your life. It's available for purchase via Amazon. Get ready to try on the 3HQ method that I've been using for years throughout my entire life, reaching the next level in all areas, both professionally and personally. Get your copy today at www.therelaunchbook.com. Hey everyone, and welcome back. I am with Renee Linnell, and we have been talking about cults, about her being a part of one, how she broke away. She gave, if you haven't been listening, she gave the most, you know, like (laughs) the biggest tip is do not, which means you're going to have to go back and listen now if you're just joining, but do not sleep with the cult leader's boyfriend. Don't do it. Or you might actually, or actually do it if you want to get thrown out of the cult. So, so many incredible, incredible life lessons that we're learning here as well. But I, Renee, I'm enjoying this so much in the sense of how you are sharing these stories now and really impacting and in, in like saying this, these kind of anecdotes for people so that they can kind of make light of it. But also on a very serious note, you talked about losing your parents and you're, you know, in your, in your twenties and you're trying to like make it all like, what, what is all this about? I'm traveled. I've like been 50 different countries. I've done all this stuff, but there's this emptiness within. And as you were writing your books and you have two great books out there, The Burn Zone and Still on Fire, when you're writing The Burn Zone, what were you really trying to get out there? And what did you want people to hear from that book? What I was trying to get out there is that we are in these human bodies for such a short amount of time and being human is really messy. It's not supposed to be all perfect and polished and everything's great. And we've all gone through trauma and we've all made really bad mistakes and we've all had life come along and smash the crap out of us. And that's the human experience. And when we can start to see that we're all in this together and that none of us has it figured out, and it's this really like wild, messy, incredible ride, then it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I went through this horrible divorce and I never thought I was going to make it, but then I came out the other side and oh my gosh, I joined a cult and got brainwashed and burned everything I owned, but I made it out the other side and, you know, or I lost my career or whatever it is that we've gone through. Um, you know, when you read about other people going to the brink of total and complete devastation, Mm -hmm. and then step by step, breath by breath, making their way out the other side, it just reminds you if you're going through it, that you can do it too. somebody else did. And so that's what I wanted to do is just kind of like, I feel like I'm climbing up this mountain called life. And I might be further along than others because I've lived such a crazy life in such a short amount of time, but here's my flashlight showing you the way. And, and that's the feedback I've gotten is that people just go reading about your story was profoundly healing to me. And so when people came up to you and started to say, oh my gosh, Renee, this book, did you, had you shared this with your friends and let them know like this had really happened to you or did they read it when the book came out? No, I shared it. I started sharing it with close people. I had had so much shame around all of all of it because when I got completely broken by the cult, I had to go all the way back through childhood and kind of go through all my trauma that I had suppressed and repressed to figure out why I would even join a cult and why I would stay in it for so long and what was lacking within me and what I was searching for. And so I started to tell people close to me and they all said, you have to write a book. So mm-hmm. when the book came out, there was this huge celebration, which was wonderful. Well, and when you go back and I think that there's a lot of people and I I call it hell in the hallway where you have these doors and, you know, you just keep shutting the doors. You just keep bolting those doors. You don't want to, you know, open them up. And as you said, you had to go back and, you know, kind of revisit this. How did you do that? How did you go back and revisit some of this trauma that you had when you were younger? 
Speaking about shutting those doors, I think in the opening of the burn zone, I write, embrace your skeletons in the closet, pull them out and paint them pink, celebrate <laughs> them. Your skeletons are probably the most interesting part about you. Your difference is your destiny. Mm-hmm. And as I wrote and wrote and wrote about the story, um, I was healing because I was desensitizing myself to it and I was processing it. And then I had this great editor who came through when we were getting ready to go to the final stages. And she said, Renee, you're sanitizing certain parts, like the abuse from your mother and Mm. the weird romantic thing with a cult leader. And I need you to really, I know it's painful, but I need you to really write about it to take the reader through. And then that, that it's so cathartic to tell our story. And then once it's written and in a book for me, I don't have to talk about it now, really. You know, when people meet me, I say, oh, I wrote a book. I wrote two books. You can read them. Let's talk about you. You know what? I have to say, I had a very similar experience when I was writing my book. It was a lot of stories about my mom who had passed and I I didn't have the luxury of doing like the eat, pray, love or the wild, you know, going out and really dealing with my emotions. I decided, okay, let's deal with the emotions as I was writing, as I was writing the stories. And my editor also said, hey, we need more. Give us like, you're sugarcoating this, you're not going. And it was like, I mean, my broken heart, my like just ripping it open, putting salt in the wound and the the hours and days that I was writing where I was just bawling and how cathartic, how cleansing, how, you know, it. the one thing I have to say for those that have a book and that they know they have a book inside of them, it is an incredible experience and journey to have to go there to have to really think back to put yourself back in that place because they want to know. I remember one of the editors said when my mom called and told me she had 13 lesions and I just wrote, you know, she called, her voice was very, you know, dull. And she said, I have 13 lesions. And he's like, what did that mean to you? And I'm like, I almost thought I'd be like, you know, I don't know, leave me alone. And then I realized I'm like, I, I, I let out a guttural sound, like a sound I've never heard before. I never want to hear again. And that came from deep within me when I hung the phone up and that opened up more of what I ended up sharing. And as you said about people, um, you don't need to share it anymore. I've had people come up and say, you know, that story about, you know, painting of the house and your mom, oh my God, I had something like kind of similar and I'll be like, first off, like, how do you know that? How do you know that story about me? And then I'm like, oh, right, the book, the book. And those that's been some fun too, like having people that are total strangers. Have you had that happen as well where people is like, oh my God, I love that story. And you're like, wow, that story. <laughs> yes. Yes. And the most awkward thing is dating because I think, you know, men that have read my book have read so much personal, so many personal things about me. Um, oh my gosh. So you're single right now. I am single right now. Okay. So you're single. You've written these two memoirs that people like you just said, people are able to read them. So it must be very interesting. And you must be able to say, okay, you've read the book. I need to ask questions about you because you clearly know, you know a lot about me. Right. Yes. Well, that's a different, that's a different approach to dating. Most people don't have, the guys are like, okay, I got this woman. I know exactly. And you're like, oh my God. Okay. So I want to talk to you about, again, you have the the first book and very quickly you ended up writing the second book, Still on Fire, which is just like, love the name, love the name of that book. But what, what caused you to say, hey, I'm not done yet. My readers, they're so lovely, and they were not ready to stop reading when the burn zone ended. And they said, when are you getting the sequel out, which is so sweet. And so they really pushed me. And every time I kind of wanted to quit, they kept going, when's the book coming? When's the book coming? And and I realized I still had so much more to write about. And so, and then the title Still on Fire came because this the opening of Still on Fire is a romantic interlude that happened right at the end of my book tour for the burn zone and I was texting my girlfriends about it 
And they said, oh my God, woman, you're still on fire. And so that's how we picked that title. Isn't that so great? I love the way the title came about. I think that it's so, it, it, it worked out so perfectly. So when you think about the, um, the Still on Fire book, tell us some of the highlights from the book. Share with us, you know, what were some of those relaunches like? Well, so that book is all magic, miracles, travel, and romance. Um, and I say the first book is about what happens when you don't listen to your inner guidance. And the second book is all about what happens when you do. But there are stories in there about me being stranded at 22,000 feet in the Himalayas, um, being detained by- Okay, so hold on. Before we go into the second one, can you share a little bit about that story? Being stranded at 22,000 feet yeah. in the Himalayas? I was modeling. I was on a modeling job when I was 20. And this photographer took me all around the world to pose in a bikini and exotic places. And fortunately, my mother forced me to bring somebody with me. And I brought my boyfriend at the time. And it turned out that this photographer was kind of a pathological liar and just wanted to pay pretty women to travel with him. And one of the things we were doing was trekking the Annapurna circuit. And I was 20. I didn't even know where Nepal was until we landed there. He said he would hire a Sherpa to carry my backpack because I was the talent. I wasn't supposed to lug my crap up, you know, mm. um, Himalayan mountain. And then when it came time to set off on the trip, he wanted, he didn't want to pay for two Sherpas. So he had me put stuff in his backpack for his Sherpa to carry. And at the very top of the Annapurna, Pat, there's something called the pass and you have to hike high, sleep low a couple nights before that. And then you go over the pass. Hike he, high. What is, wait, wait, say uh, that again. You like, you pick a place to sleep, but then that during the day you hike high to hike to higher altitude oh. and then you sleep at lower altitude to just make sure you're not going to have altitude sickness. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And so we did that for a few nights and then my boyfriend and I set off to the very last stop before going over the pass. And this was 30 years ago. And there were not a lot of people traveling through the Himalayas then. And the, the photographer and the Sherpa never showed up with any of our stuff. So not only did we not have a guide, but I didn't have my mummy sleeping bag for, you know, below freezing. And okay, that's super have... dangerous. What it was, was super dangerous. Oh, it was very dangerous. We were following donkey poop to, you know, I mean, it was, we could have died and probably should have died and we didn't have oxygen and we didn't have first aid kit. I cannot not believe this guy. Did you ever find him again? I did find him again because we had all the same plane tickets um, and he showed up three days later. So this whole story is in that book, but it's a, it's a hell of a story. <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. So then there's a story about you surfing yes, in crocodile infested waters. Okay. You need to explain this one to everyone. Well, that one, I was on a surf trip in Panama and, and met some random stranger with an 80 foot catamaran or trimaran. And he, we talked him into taking us surfing, my surf companion and I up and down the coast and then we got detained by Panamanian, you know, I don't know if they were militia or true military, but they wanted to confiscate the boat. And they pulled us into a um, a bay that was not visible from the coast. And then they held us at gunpoint, trying to figure out how to get the boat. And my companion, who's Cuban and speaks fluent Spanish, got them laughing and then drinking and then said that I could wake surf behind their boat. And if I did, would they set us free? And and I did. I wake surfed behind the boat. They had just they had just confiscated that boat from Colombian drug runners. And at one point I fell and they were all screaming and I didn't know why they were screaming. And it, it turns out the water was full of crocodiles. But we did get released. Everyone else on the boat got held for another week and we got released. Okay, so afterwards you realize that the water had crocodiles in it. Yeah, I didn't know. And before. and it, thank God, you know, you didn't because you didn't freak out. You immediately got back up and you right. only fell once, right? I think right. Like, if I knew that, that, you'd be more apt to be like, you know, it's like, don't fall in the crocodile infested waters. Don't do it. And then, and then you end up doing it, right? right? But so you got out of there. Now, at this point, are, do you have... Are, are, have you gone back and like really dealt with all this? I know that you've got 
degrees and you've got all these things, but that's massively traumatic too. I mean, all these different stories, right? I mean, we're, we're not talking about just walking down the street and, you know, you have like crazy stories. It's interesting because those stories don't seem traumatic to me. What What's traumatic to me is the mind, um, having my mind become undone by toxic relationships because I'm such a lover and I believe the best in everybody. And so when people intentionally manipulate and abuse and use, um, that I think that has been the most devastating for mm. me. And that's why the cult was so traumatic. Right. And they really did not, were there a lot of people in this cult? I think there were about 150. It was pretty small. Oh, I was about to say, wow, that seems really big. I think, I mean, I hear about cults that are thousands of people. So, but I don't know that much about cults, honestly. I mean, this was, are you still friends with anyone in the cult or did you have to sever all tides? I severed most ties. I'm still friends with a couple people who joined when I joined that then left. Um, But they weren't as extreme as I was. So for them, it was just meditating, dressing in nice suits, learning about Buddhism and different religions and getting coached in their careers and making more money. Well, so that doesn't sound like a cult. Right. That that experience. Right. And so... Help me understand how, you know, your, you know, what happened to you and then why, why was their experience so different? Mine was because again, it's like any toxic relationship, you know, you co if you have a toxic friend or a toxic lover and you go on a couple dates and you enjoy their company. And then when they're obnoxious, you just don't hang out with them. You're not harmed. But when you fall deeply in love and you keep making excuses for their bad behavior and you keep letting them drain you financially, psychologically, emotionally, energetically, you know, that, and you go on the roller coaster when they go on the roll of their emotions and their temper tantrums, then you become traumatized. And so for me, I fell deeply in love with these teachers. I enmeshed myself completely. I thought if I were going to hire, you know, a coach to help me get a gold medal in the Olympics, I would do everything the coach said. And since I thought these teachers were leading me towards enlightenment, I was going to do everything they said. And mm. they, I allowed them to destroy my life. And so we're going to ha- we're going to take a quick break right now but when we come back as you said you've done so many different things in your life but now you really are doing things that you're passionate about things that really are in alignment and i want to ask you to help us understand how does one go down that path to make sure that things are in alignment and not just you know hey that sounds like a good idea but doesn't work out so when we come back we will get into that This episode is brought to you by my very own Labor of Love, my most recent book, Relaunch. This book is a collection of my stories, other stories, and is a motivational guide to living a new 3HQ lifestyle, sparking your heart to ignite your life. It's available for purchase via Amazon. Get ready to try on the 3HQ method that I've been using for years throughout my entire life reaching the next level in all areas, both professionally and personally. Get your copy today at www.therelaunchbook.com. Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm here with Renee and what a story we've had. We've had cults, we've had brainwashing, we've had karate, we've had missteps in partnerships that had ended in hundreds of thousands of dollars being spent in different places that never got back legal battles. I mean, you name it. We have surfing in crocodile infested water. Wow. 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 Oh, and let's not even forget the fact that you were stranded on the top of a Himalayan mountain with no, no sleeping bag, no oxygen. I mean, Wow to the 10th degree. And I am so just blown away, Renee, at your stories, at your storytelling. And I would love now to really talk about 
And you often talk about reclaim you. You know, that's all of that's that's my jam, girl, because it's relaunch you. It's like, you know, let's do a restart. Let's reclaim that. I always talk about rebranding of of you. Forget about the business initially. Let's rebrand you. And you've done that. You've gone through a massive rebranding and went deep into what was going to serve you and align to that higher self. But a lot of people struggle with, you know, you're, you're caught up in your own, your own stories and can't break free and they define you. And you talked, you opened up the whole segment, you know, a while ago with identity and you've truly crafted and created a new identity, but can you walk us through your steps on how you did that? Oh, there's so many, but, um, self-love was the biggest part of it. And so I do think we have to, I knew I had to allow myself to be totally shattered, you know, not try to, I thought I was going to leave New York, move to Colorado, cry a couple nights and then start a whole new life. And instead I had years of undoing. I mean, just not even able to eat or get off the couch. Um, and so I, so do you have, let me ask you, do you have suggestions for people and I had, you know, the you know, darkness of the of the soul, the dark night. I've had that, you know, those situations where I'm, you know, I'm flat on my back on my mom's twin bed and not wanting to get up, not wanting and and how, how you know, and yeah, it can last. It can last for days, weeks, years. Now that you've been through it, now that you've seen the other side, do you have suggestions on getting through it? a little bit faster? Is there a way? Or do you feel like you really have to? It's like your time. You got to you got to take your time to go through it. I do think we have to take our time to go through it. But I do think, you know, if we can strip it down to the most basic question, when when we're shattered or we're depressed, do we want to stay or do we want to leave? Because staying here in this body on this planet is a choice. And so then when we take it to that very simple question, do I want to leave? I can leave, mm. but I don't know if I want to leave. I think I want to stay one more day. Mm-hmm. And then you Did go, you have moments where you thought you wanted to leave? Oh yeah. And so, and then, and I talk about it in the burn zone and then, and this is when everything started to pivot for me. Cause I was like, honey, you can leave, you can leave, but what would you miss? And I was like, oh my gosh, well, I would miss watching the sunrise out the window and I would miss calling my brother and I would miss coffee and my favorite mug and clean sheets and, you know, birds and flowers. And so mm-hmm. then I was like, okay, so let's That's say- such a great question. What would you miss? What would, and it's those tiny things that we would miss, like chocolate, you know, or whatever <laughs> it is. All right. I have to say it. I'd miss chips. I love them. <laughs> I love them. Give me some chips and guacamole and I'm like a happy camper. Throw in a margarita every once in a while. I'm even happier. <laughs> well, I know. And yeah. we did but I love that. What would you miss when you're in that, you know, dark night of the soul and you're, you're really, you know, contemplating like, you know, is it worth it? I'm so, I'm so sad. I'm so depressed. I'm so, you know, at, I'm at rock bottom, as you said. And you thought about those simple things. And then I filled the next day with those simple things. I luxuriated over coffee thinking this is the last day I'm ever going to drink coffee. And I luxuriated over watching the sunrise. This is the last time I'll ever watch the sun, you know, paint the mountains pink. And, and then I had the most wonderful day. And then I realized none of that other nonsense matters. You know, what I'm doing for money, what my career looks like, what the world thinks of me, if people think I'm attractive or not, if I have a partner, if my friends are, you know, none of that matters. What mattered is this is my time in this body on this planet. What do I want to do with it, really? And then I started putting those little things in every day, more and more and more of them, and no longer betraying myself to look successful to the outside world. Or and no longer looking for others to give me that love and nurturing and gentleness that I I started doing that for myself, the blankets and the flowers and the tea, mm. warm tea. And I started really holding said self-love. Yeah. This was the self-love part. And you also said the little things you started to notice, you started to how many of us have, you know, such blinders on right. that we don't, we don't notice, we don't look around. Right. We're not present. 
we're sitting here thinking about the future. We're not where we should be, which is right here, right? observing the things that are right in front of us. And so I would even challenge everyone listening right now to, you know, think about what Renee just said, you know, do you ever just like kind of listen? What, what's, you know, what are you hearing right now? Can you hear the birds? Are you in a city? Can you hear, you know, the planes? Can you hear, you know, don't be thinking about the traffic. Don't be thinking about any of that. And maybe it's time to get out into nature because there is a simple quietness that comes with just that. And you talk about meditation. Meditation is so profound when you're just focused on that like one thing, that listening to the bird, listening to rain, listening. There's a tapping going on in my office right now because the snow's melting. And it's it's almost like for some, they might be like, oh, that's so, you know, irritating. But it's like got this like, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's kind of got a beat to it. I like that a lot. And it's little, little things then start to amount to the bigger. Mm. Yes. And even, you know, we were talking on the break, how much you love noticing hearts and I notice her and I just came back from a month in Buenos Aires, Argentina. So walking around that city, you know, but I notice when I walk around the city, I'm seeing hearts, I'm seeing the word love written on the wall. I'm seeing, you know, the word magic. I'm seeing the word blessed. It's like popping out to me from every filthy street corner. It's hearts and magic and miracles and blessed and I never would have seen that before I got broken. I would have been too darn worried about, is my Spanish perfect? Is my tango dancing perfect? Do I look pretty? Is my outfit nice? You know, and now it's just like, oh my gosh. And then there's a bird, you know, how did that bird get here in the middle of this traffic intersection? It's right in my path. It's like the universe is going, I know you love animals. Here's a bird. Oh, this is so good. The other night I'm driving home and I'm kind of like just, you know, in awe of this winter wonderland that I'm in Boulder and it's just, it looked so gorgeous. And all of a sudden there was this wild pig that ran across the street <laughs> like, and I, I almost hit it. And I was talking to my husband and I'm like sharing this and I'm like, it's the craziest thing. There was this pig and he's like a pig. It's what? Like, I don't know if it was someone's animal. I have no idea, but that thing ran in front of the car. And here's the thing. It's. I, I wanted so much to continue to drive that night. I wanted so much to continue to see and open my my eyes to more. And that's what happens, right? You start to notice things and, and your consciousness wants to, once you become aware that you're doing this, you're aware that you want more, those little things, the hearts, I end up seeing hearts everywhere because your conscious brain, you know, based on your subconscious is wanting you to validate that. Keep seeing me, keep seeing more. That's why it's so important when you start to recognize abundance in your life. Right. You start to say, wow, look at that. Because then what happens is your consciousness starts to put out there an awareness that, hey, there it is. I'm right. seeing more and more. Now, one thing that I have to address, I have to get to the bottom of this, is you became a world-class tango dancer and trainer and coach and teacher. How did that happen? And you're, you're in Argentina all the time and you just got back late last night. How does that, how did that manifest for you? There's a saying that you don't find tango, tango finds you. And that's what happened to <laughs> me. I, in the, in, in the burn zone, I talk about waking up on the floor of a van in Portugal with a bunch of surfers and having this knowing that I was going to move to California and become a professional Latin ballroom dancer. And so I moved, I immediately flew to California. I ended up getting hired in a studio owned by one of the top five world champions in Latin ballroom. And then somebody came through the studio teaching Argentine tango and I fell in love with it. And I'm such an extremist that I went to Argentina and started learning from the masters down there. And I must have had past lives as an Argentine because I just, all this, I'd been studying Spanish forever, but I could never speak Spanish. And that first night in Argentina, I dreamt in Spanish and woke up fluent and I just clicked, everything clicked for me. Oh, it's so incredible. <laughs> well, as we're wrapping this up, where can people connect with you, read your books, get more involved in your tango lifestyle? I mean, wh where can they go? 
My website is ReneeLinnell.com, and that has a lot of information and blogs and information on my books and me on that. And then I am on Instagram and Facebook. I'm much better at Instagram than I am at Facebook. Um, but so my Instagram is Renee.Linnell, I think. I'm pretty easy to find. If you There's some right. videos of you dancing on there, I certainly hope. There are, yeah. Awesome, because we're all going to go. Surfing. We're all going to go check it out because that's so cool. Surfing and tango dancing, and so last question: When you are asked by you know, or you have to give a suggestion, the top thing that you would recommend to people, what would you say? I would say that we live in a world of eight billion people, and you are the only version of you there is, which is an absolute miracle. So stop trying to be like somebody else and start embracing every quirky, weird, different thing about you. And you know your body size and shape, and you know whatever it is you love to do, and whatever it is you hate to do, and whatever it is you're good at, and whatever it is you're bad at, and start like luxuriating in what it is to be you, and life becomes so much more fun. So good. And as you said that, my big passion in life is dancing. I love to dance. Like just any dance, any dance. Every morning I dance, I come downstairs, I have a mood and I, you know, what's the dance of the day? And so I love that you just said, yeah, and I just got to keep doing it. Maybe I'll start to do it midday. (laughs) Yes. We have to stop making excuses for not doing those things that make our hearts light up. Isn't that the truth? Like you got to tune in, tune into what lights you up, tune into that because then the sparks happen, right? It becomes like this incredible, oh my God, life takes on a new, a new shape. A new, I mean, just everything about it. So I have loved this conversation. And when I think of your adventures, and we didn't address 90% of them, everyone, you've got to go check out these books. The books are Burn Zone, and the second one's still on fire. This gal, I mean, Renee Linnell. I can't wait. I mean, you're still so young. I can't wait to see what's, you know, the second half. You're in the mid zone. Let's see what the second half brings, right? I mean, that's where it's really going to get interesting. And I also think, you know, I talk about relaunch love a lot. And that's part of you got relaunch love and you've got relaunch your business, relaunch your life. But this is your year, girl. This is the year of love for you. You just gave me goosebumps. Yeah. So I, I feel it for you. And I think that, you know, keep keep opening up your eyes to those hearts and okay. all that other goodness. Cause that's, you know, that's one of the first steps that I tell people. You got to notice things in order to have them come into your life. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us today. Next week, I am so excited to share two women that I have gotten to know over the last six months very well. Lisa. Brand, brand, Kraken, Kraken. I'm going to have to learn the last name. I usually just call her Lisa and Corey Minkus. They are unbelievable. And wait till you hear some of the Shark Tank stories, some of the, the, the good stuff. Anyway, for right now, live now, love now, relaunch now, and we'll see you next week. You've just heard another episode of the Relaunch Podcast. If something shared in this episode resonated with you, please head over to iTunes right now and leave us a five-star review and share this episode with others to inspire them to take the small steps that lead to a life full of purpose and possibility. And remember, you can have immediate access to the show notes and any giveaways at therelaunchco.com backslash podcast. Until next week, now is your time to relaunch your transition into a transformation.